0: Fire Conversation. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Summer Camp is an amazing experience for campers and staff members alike. At Summer Camp, our kids get to learn and grow and connect in ways they really enjoy during the rest of the year. This podcast is all about taking the unique knowledge and experience of Summer Camp, the Summer Camp professionals, the people who work in it, the people who work around it, and figuring out how to apply all that knowledge to the world away from camp. Today, we have a special guest leading the conversation, my great friend and assistant camp director, Dana Stassen. Before I turn it over to Dana, I wanted to make a few short comments about our recent trip to the Tri-State Camp Conference and something that's on all of our minds right now, the coronavirus. There are not a lot of answers out there right now about how the coronavirus will affect the U.S. and the camp industry going forward. I can tell you, though, that I have never had so many useful and positive conversations with summer camp industry leaders and health experts in such a short period of time. I can also tell you, having directed camps through multiple outbreaks in the past, MERS, SARS, H1N1, just to name a few, the summer camp industry has always figured out a way to create safe, fun environments for our campers and staff members. And I know that we're going to be able to do so again with this current challenge. Scrappy and I will host next week's Campfire Conversation, and we'll talk about all we learned at the Tri-State Conference, including a discussion about the coronavirus situation and how we think that it will affect things going forward. Okay, I've said enough, and I really want you to hear from my good friend Dana and her fantastic guests around the campfire. Go get your marshmallow sticks ready, pull up a digital seat, and let's learn together around the campfire.
1: Hi, I'm Dana Stassen. I'm the Assistant Director for Camp Aquaic. At camp, I'm also known as Princess Brackle Pants, and I'm guest hosting this episode of Campfire Conversations. Thank you so much, Cole, for trusting me to do this. I'm excited for this opportunity, and thank you in advanced listeners for taking a risk with me. I grew up outside of D.C., and I never really loved being outside unless the weather conditions were optimal. I had my best friends and brothers around, the pool was open, and my bike wheels were perfectly inflated. As an adult, I learned more about the value and benefits of just getting outside, even in the pouring down rain. This certainly comes in handy when working at a summer camp where we get to influence just about everything except the weather. Over the past few years, I've become more curious about camp best practices and outdoor education. This journey towards understanding and appreciation led me straight to Ruby Compton, I've watched several of her webinars. I saw her speak at ACA Nationals in Nashville, and I've listened to her on the Camp Code podcast where she's one of the terrific hosts. She really knows her stuff. Ruby has worked for over 10 years in the outdoor industry, in summer camp and environmental education. She has special interest in work cultures, staff training and development, productivity, and systems and processes. Ruby presents at conferences around the world and has a passion for educating people. Come join Ruby and I around the campfire and listen to what we chat about today in terms of the benefits of being outdoors. Hi, everybody. I am Dana Stass, and I am guest hosting Campfire Conversations this week, and I have an incredible guest lined up for us today. We'll be chatting with Ruby Compton. Tell us a little bit about your background um, and what you do.
2: For sure. So, my name is Ruby Compton, and I'm the currently the chief exploration officer for Ruby Outdoors, which simply just means I'm self employed. Uh, so, before going out on my own, I uh, ran a small residential program for about four and a half years uh, here in Western North Carolina, which is where I live right now in the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Okay. Um, and then before that, I was working seasonal jobs. So, I worked at a YMCA camp in Nashville, Tennessee, and kind of started as a counselor and worked my way all the way up to a seasonal assistant director, uh, and then worked during the school year at an outdoor education program called Nature's Classroom up in northeast Alabama. So done lots of different camp environments, lots of different types of outdoor programming. Uh, Now I'm essentially working as a freelance camp director. There's about uh, 60 camps within a two-hour radius of where I live right now. So I pop in and help out with bus driving and lifeguarding and raft guiding and really anything and everything you could possibly need a camp pro for. I can try to jump in and help out.
1: That's amazing. And so one of the things that I always talk about with camp is when you start as a camp counselor and then start to kind of jump into those different roles, there's almost nothing that you can't do um, yeah. <laughs> after that in any, you know, in any realm of business. So what would you say is the, the thing that maybe people are the most surprised that you know how to do because of your experience oh. working in camp?
2: Yeah. Great question. Um, bus driving is one that when I drop that people are like, what you drive buses too? You do everything. And, and that's really because the camp that I ran, we used buses to transport our kids around the camp property. Uh, we had 3,400 acres. So, uh, the kids got to go out on hikes every morning and some of the trailheads were four miles away from the main base camp. So instead of spending all morning hiking to the trailhead and then not getting to go on a hike, we just bus them there. So, um, I'm, way more comfortable driving, you know, school buses on curvy, windy, um, you know, gravel mountain roads <laughs> that drop off to rivers than like on the interstate on the interstate. I'm terrified because I don't have oh as much experience gosh. doing that, but, uh, I would say that's definitely something, um, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. When people find that out, they're like, oh, are you a a musician? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, pretty much to graduate from high school in Nashville, you have to play guitar. If you can't play Wagon (laughs) Wheel, they're not going to give you your high school. That's not actually true, but it certainly feels that way. So um, I am not a super proficient guitar player, but I can play the five chords that are needed to play most songs at camp. So a little bit of everything.
1: That is impressive. I love that. Um, definitely, I think that that bus driving piece, I'm sure, is surprising to a lot of people. Um, and it's wonderful that you've gotten that experience and um, have been able to do, you know, what benefited your kids the most in that way. And I think as camp people, that's what we do. We figure out what works and, you know, get those CDLs, do whatever the case may be to make sure that the kids are having the best experience possible. Um, so I spent a little bit of time on on your website Um, just in general and more recently as we were preparing for our conversation today. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that you've got a a tagline on your website that says, get outside, be better. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this. What's the inspiration behind that?
2: Oh, sure. Um, It it has to do with, I feel like every time that I've been in a place of stress or um, even I think about in high school uh, when I had a ton of homework to do and just a lot that I needed to slog through, my eyes would just drift out my window. And all I wanted to do was go be outside. And so I'd pack up all my books and I'd go to a local park and lay out a blanket and and do some work there. And I don't know that I actually got that much more work done, but it just felt better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, there was an, a speaker that came to ACA National a few years ago who talked about the fact that our brains really developed in the outdoor environment, right? They're used to seeing that green space. And so now these concrete blocks and and cityscapes that we've created, those are actually um, much more difficult for our brains to process, even if you've grown up there and and that's what you know. Um, For much of human history, our brains were processing green information. And so that's why we go outside and have this like, oh, this is comfortable, you <laughs> yeah. know, and a little bit easier. And um, so I think that it's everything from wellness and fitness to going out and hiking and, and, you know, or whatever your exercise routines are to mentally just needing a little bit of a clear head, um, taking some time to to walk outside or sit outside. I don't know. You can just feel it. You sit in the sunshine. It's just like,
1: yeah, oh, yes, I'm <laughs>
2: I'm like a chameleon. I'm taking in the sunshine and the, and it is making me very happy. But um, yeah, I just think that there's a lot of, a lot of power and reset that happens from being outdoors.
1: I agree with you. And there's actually this, um, I stumbled across like really randomly, this article that just came out on January 9th that was published at Yale. Um, And the article is basically titled like how immersion in nature benefits your health. And there are all of these studies that are coming out now about how it's so good to be in nature and to be outside. And you're like, well, obviously, duh, Um, (laughs) this is, you know, that's, that's not science, but now there is a ton of research to kind of back you know, what we already know in terms of that common sense piece. And what was interesting about this article is that they came up with this magic number as to like how many minutes you need to improve your mental and physical health outside by spending time outside. And it's 120 minutes is what they said. That's, do it <laughs> that's a, like and they were like that's a hard number like more than that obviously is amazing but you're not going to see the benefits unless you spend at least 120 minutes mm-hmm. a week outside um in some green space so what are what are your thoughts on that
2: uh, yes, yes, please. Can we mandate that for everybody? Let's put it in everybody's job descriptions. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Uh, it's so true. And and I think about the jobs that I've had where I was working and, and you know, essentially like kind of living outdoors mm-hmm. uh, where every day you just got up and, and you did the work outside, rain or shine, snow or sleet, like didn't matter. You just put on the right clothing and went outside and did it. And I just, I I think my mindset was in a much uh, more grounded, simple space. Uh, and I also think about like, now that I don't, you know, always spend as much time outside for all parts of the year, it's like, man, it is so inconvenient if it's raining outside. It is just like the worst. And I may be walking from my doorstep to my car and from the car to the grocery store, whatever, not going very far Mm -hmm. compared to when I was spending eight hours programming with the kids and pouring down rain, treating it like everything is fantastic and wonderful. So, you know, the act, actual effects that it has on my day-to-day life, maybe less, but man, it just seemed so much easier to cope with, uh, when I was spending more time outside, you know?
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, there's also been this, um, this push for this increase in like, you know, forest schools and nature preschools and getting the kids out there. And I have a, my son is five and he actually spent one year at a nature preschool and the teachers would always say, you know, send them to school and their grossest stuff, like send the rain boots, mm-hmm. send, send the rain jackets for going outside. And now he's in a more traditional school and you know, the weather gets below a certain temperature or, you know, there's a little bit of drizzle and they stay inside and mm-hmm. have like an indoor playtime. And I have seen How that impacts him and how it impacts me, of course, when he gets off the bus and he's got all of that energy inside. So what would you say, um, like, how can we help people kind of shift their perspective on Mm. getting outside even when the weather is not ideal and understanding that there is a benefit to that?
2: Yeah. Okay. So a couple of thoughts I have on that. One is, uh, I have, uh, listened and, and paid a lot of attention to the work of Daniel Pink. Uh, Mm -hmm. so he's written several books, but one of his more recent books is a book called win. And in that book, he talks about our natural circadian circadian rhythms, which are this like peak valley and then rebound. And so, you know, in general, we start off our day with like, It's our peak. Our mind is at its sharpest mental focus. We can get the most kind of hard, deep work done. Uh, And then we hit this natural valley, Uh, you know, and all of us have experienced it. And whether it lines up with rest hour or not, you know that like, I don't want to do any of this work. Like my mind is wandering. Mm. And, uh, and then after that, there is this rebound where we have this other chunk of time, typically where we can, if we will allow ourselves that valley we will um, have another period of of productivity and creativity, especially in that rebound time. And so that's something that I've leaned into a bunch that now, like, when I start to feel that, oh, I just mm-hmm. I can't, <laughs> nope, I go, so okay. I go for a walk. I go for a walk. And I've done that when I've worked in offices. I've done that working from home. I'll go for a walk outside or I'll go work out or I'll go for a trail run, um, just to go reset myself a little bit. Um, and it's in the winter time and for camp Mm -hmm. directors, especially it's hard, right? Like it's dark all the time. And if you're going (laughs) to an office for work, uh, you're probably leaving when it's dark and getting home when it's dark, depending on where you live. Right. That's certainly the case for me here in Western North Carolina. So uh, that's hard. So take the sunshine while you've got it. Give yourself that time and space and go outside when it's warm enough plan to do your workouts in the middle of the day instead of feeling like, well, I got to get up when it's, you know, 20 below so I can get this workout in before work. Whatever routine you do is your routine, like find a routine that works. Uh, but give yourself some permission, I think, during, especially during the winter time to, to get that stuff in there. And then the other piece is gear. And I think a lot of people think, well, I don't have the gear to go outside in this weather. If it's particularly cold, you don't need the fanciest jacket. You just need layers. Just keep layering, put on everything you own if you have to, but just keep layering up. Don't feel like you have to have that $100 jacket or those super fancy <laughs> to be able to do it. Um, a good pair of wool socks will go a long way when it's cold and wet. So if you're gonna invest in something, it doesn't, they don't have to be fancy. I mean, you can spend $15 on a pair of wool socks and suddenly your feet are going to be a lot happier when it's cold and nasty out uh, or even just wet. So those are kind of my two thoughts, lean into those rhythms and then uh, don't be afraid because of the gear. Don't let that stop you.
1: I think that's, that's super, super helpful. Um, and I'll just tell, share a quick anecdote this weekend. We live in, um we live in Atlanta, Georgia. And this weekend we got snow randomly and you know, it snows here sometimes and the the entire city shuts down because nobody knows how to cope. And so we were just like, not really sure what was going to happen. But the flakes were coming down fast and heavy. And I have two kids under five. And they were like, we have to get outside and play. And we don't have, you know, ski gear or the fanciest mm-hmm. of snow stuff because it only happens here like once every three years. Yeah, totally. And we got outside in our makeshift gloves that, you know, were wet in 30 seconds or whatever. But it was important that we got outside so they could have that experience. Um, and they were exhausted after playing outside for probably an hour and a half. Um, and then we got inside and warmed up, which I think is one of the more fun mm-hmm. things after you're being cold is getting that hot chocolate and doing something fun inside after that. But it was an experience that. Um, I know a lot of us that grow up in areas that have a ton of snow, we take You know, we take that for granted sometimes—the fact that you can go outside and play in that. Um, And I've spoken with some of my friends who live in more tropical climates; like they don't go to the beach as regularly, right? Right. Can because it's there, and I'm like, okay, this is your outside all of the time, so get out there. Um, So back to that—that article that I was reading um, Mm -hmm. about that 120 minutes Mm -hmm. um, getting outside, and that being kind of that ideal magic number um, where the benefits start to really have um, an impact. How? you know, how can people who are driven by you know, schedules and to-do lists and achievement attainment and carpool and all of those things. Like, how can we make that work in mm-hmm. our real lives? Because we know that the impact is so great when we have that those moments.
2: Yeah, so you said 120 minutes per week. Is that yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah. So let's let's break that down. Like, that's, okay, even if you have one day where you don't, if you go six days a week, that's 20 minutes a day. Uh, 120 minutes sounds like, wow, that's, yeah, that's a, that's lot, that's a right? big chunk <laughs> of my time. Uh, but when you look at it being, you know, 20 minutes a day, that's pretty reasonable, right? Like that's a walk to and from uh, to the mailbox or depending on how long your driveway is. right? Um, And so the big piece is to just schedule it in. I think schedule it in, make it part of the routine. People who have dogs, right? Like they have that routine built in often that they have to let their dog out or go walk with their dog. Um, So I think we need to Build that in just like the urgency of like, I can't have the dog going to the bathroom in the house. So I've got to go take a walk. Well, you've got to not go stir crazy. So you got to go take a walk. Um, and it doesn't have to be taking a walk. It can be gardening. It can be doing yard work. It can be, um, I mean there's so many options right mm-hmm. like uh, go take a tour around and, and check out some of the public art that might be in your area if you're in a cityscape. Um, I'm a geocacher as well it's okay. something I haven't done as much of since I moved up this way but um, if if you're not familiar with geocaching it's basically finding well people, we like to say it's using military technology to find plastic containers sure. <laughs> <your notes>. uh, <laughs> but really there's an online site where you can find coordinates and it's like a worldwide treasure hunt right and so that's something that I loved because it would get me out and just like looking more closely at stuff mm-hmm. and paying attention and it's there all over the world every new city I go to I'm like well let me snag a geocache here because I could fill it on my map another place that right. I've been, you know cool. uh, so find out what it is that that draws you outside and and just give yourself permission and and some routine to do that
1: right and I think that breaking it down the way that you said with that 20 minutes a day like we can find 20 minutes and I know a lot of um a lot of people listening, you know, have children at home. And so there's this like 15 to 20 minutes of screen time that they're allotted in the day. And so it could be really sh- you know, easy to, I think, shift some of that, you know, that screen time to some outdoor time. Um, what would you say would be a benefit that you, you know, that you've seen with getting kids more outdoors and learning more about their environment and the impact that has on them kind of in a global sense, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, maybe... <clears throat> <clears throat> spending more time
2: indoors locked into to a screen-based,
1: you know, technology system.
2: Totally. Uh, So first and foremost, I think just there's a calm and an ability. Uh, I think resilience grows when you spend more time outside because anybody who's ever been on any sort of outdoor adventure knows that nothing ever goes according to plan. And so you (laughs) you have to like figure stuff out and and use your problem solving skills. Uh, But I think just generally that like that brain chemistry of this it's like taking a big, deep breath and, and I look around at our society sometimes and go, man, I just wish everybody would stop for a second and just take a big, deep breath and then deal with whatever it is right. they're, they're struggling with. Because sometimes we just need that step back, um, I think the other thing is that there, I think technology is, is so, um, running our lives that we need to, and you're hearing more and more of this, that we need to get that relationship back in check where it can be a tool, right? And I think it's actually a great tool and vessel to get people outside, right? Um, there's some cool apps out there, you know, I mentioned geocaching as a great tool that you give kids a piece of tech or a GPS or a phone or whatever. And they're like pumped to go find this treasure. But in the end, the kid who finds the treasure is always the one who like takes their nose out of the screen and starts looking around. (laughs) And every single time, like the screen is only going to get you so close, but at some point you have to look up and, and look harder. Um, there's some awesome birding apps that are out there. There's one called iBird where, and there's, you know, some discussion about the ethicalness of this, but like you can have, it'll play bird calls. And so if you know that there's a robin in the area, you can have it call, uh, you can press a button and it'll play the robin call. And then you can even see if you can call in that bird, right? And so even just to, you know, play a call and hear a bird call back to you. So cool, right? (laughs) And so I think there's some really nice ways to, like, take some of those screens away from the outlets, but take them outside and have them be the introduction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if you're one of those people that's struggling with, like, getting the screen out of your kid's hand to go outside, all right, we have iPads, we have phones, like, let's find some of those tools uh, that we can take outside. The best ones that I've ever seen are the ones that are the star apps. Have you seen those? Yes.
1: So I was gonna bring up, like, Google. Yeah mind-blowing and so tell everybody what your experience is with those apps
2: yeah so there's there are constellation apps there's there's a bunch that are out there just search for them and there are several that have free versions because they're educational Mm -hmm. and essentially you just hold your screen up to to the sky so however you're looking at it you kind of hold your screen up that way and then it'll show you using gps what stars you're seeing what constellations they are what planets might be in your uh, field of view and it is so cool and that's something as an educator like I came up learning, you know, how to read star charts and be like, okay, there's (laughs) the North Star. And then, you know, if I go this far over, if I go a thumb over, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to hit this one. And it's so much easier now to learn some of these constellations. Once you know, like, oh, those stars make a picture. Well, what is that picture of? that may get folks interested in learning about the different stories and the different cultures and what stories they told and just opens up this world of curiosity um, that I do think is a lot more accessible now that we have screens that I can just like hold it up and go, oh, that's Leo. What is that about? (laughs) You know? Uh, So don't be afraid of those tools.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's a really excellent point that you bring up because I think sometimes the push is to be like you know we can't have any screens we're having outside time like put it down like this is what we're doing and I think especially if this is a practice that you're going to initiate with your family then you're going to get some resistance um because they are you know our kids are just plugged in and I think like you said it There are so many benefits to it, but I think that there is a way that we can utilize this um, in a way that's healthier and put some boundaries and set some parameters with them. But getting those apps on your phone and taking your kids outside or the people in your family or in your neighborhood and spending 10 minutes outside looking up at the sky um, and just finding that, um, reigniting that natural curiosity Mm -hmm. in the environment around us. That goes a long way, and I think, I mean, it'll help the kids have more conversations with their friends about it. Like, I went outside last night and saw this with my parents, stuff that they would never have talked about, like, normally. um, I think um, we can help people start to have more of those conversations, and I guess that leads up me into kind of my next point. Like, if I have no background in outdoor Mm -hmm. education. If I am just a city, you know, a city person and the concrete jungle is my comfort zone, Mm -hmm. what are some initial steps that I can do to just get my people outside and appreciative of the environment around them? How do I seek out those green spaces, maybe where they're not so prevalent? How do I make that work in, in an urban setting?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, So another app that comes to mind, and this is one that my sister who lives in New York City uses a fair amount, is an app called iNaturalist. And uh, all you do is you can take photos with iNaturalist and then it uploads it and geotags them. And then other people who have nothing else to do, or they really enjoy it, so this is their hobby, they'll identify what it is that you took a photo of, and so uh, there are um, a lot of um, natural areas, so like your state forest, state parks, things like this, will do these things called bio blitzes, where they'll have people come in and take photos of every natural thing they can find to essentially get this inventory of what's there. And you don't have to identify all of it. You can if you know it, but you're just like taking photos and you're already getting involved there in some citizen science, right? So in an Mm -hmm. urban landscape, you can do the same thing. Like there is nature around you. (laughs) And I can guarantee you that if you hand your kids your phone and say, go find green stuff or go find creepy crawly stuff and take photos of it. They're going to be pumped. Right. (laughs) And that'll get them just even doing that thing where they're looking a little bit closer. Right. Maybe even getting down on hands and knees going, Whoa, check out this thing. What's this? I'm going to get a picture of this. Oh, what's this thing. You can share those photos and that gets them curious. And then what's cool is that you have the potential to get some feedback on like, what is that thing that you just found? Like, Mm -hmm. is it a, is it an army ant? Is it a, you know, a fiery, like what kind of ant is that? Uh, And then once people identify it, then you can click on there and and learn a whole bunch more. So as somebody who has zero information, you can start to gather a lot. Um, And if nothing else, you're also helping us keep tabs on like what are plant and animal populations doing? So that's, that's one um, thing I would consider, Uh, I think if you can, you know, seek out, just like you have potentially like an exercise accountability buddy, uh, seek out a nature accountability buddy, right? Somebody who every Saturday at 10 o'clock you go for a walk. Uh, And uh, I think uh, something that we get sidetracked by is this idea that everything we do has to have a lot of purpose, right? Right. But it's (laughs) it's okay. And I'm really grateful that I, I worked for a program where uh, my boss said, isn't it great you get just just to take kids for a walk in the woods today? And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I don't even have to teach them all the leaves and all the plants and all the things. Like we're just learning how to walk the land. And so I think that skill is important that we learn how to walk the land and and walk the land like Without our phones in our hand right yes. <laughs> uh, without Google Maps always telling us the turn by turn directions and so that could be an interesting challenge like we don't have our phones mm-hmm. let's see if we can get to this place that we've gone before and and just by looking and seeing what we've got uh, and looking at the street signs and paying attention to how the numbers change and uh, if we have to maybe we'll ask for directions, right? right? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but, but these are life skills, right? Yeah. And these are Absolutely. skills we need to be doing. So maybe we should set ourselves up for that kind of challenge.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think that there is this, uh this need for everything to have a purpose behind it. And I've got to, you know, really sit down and, um, you know, do some lesson planning or whatever and make sure that I feel like I'm the expert if I'm taking kids out on an adventure. Um, but I think one of the best things that we can do as adults is be curious with them and say, you know, I saw this really interesting thing on our walk. Let's, you know, try to remember as many details about it as we can and we can look mm-hmm. it up when we get home or I'm not sure what kind of tree this is what are some characteristics that we can you know mentally yeah. log and then get home and do some research together um one of my favorite things to do with my daughter is just take a walk around our neighborhood and it is a loop that by myself probably takes me two and a half minutes mm-hmm. you know to walk but with her it takes about 30 minutes yeah we gotta check out you know every acorn and what is this little you know paw print here and you know, did something, you know, uh, make a little path through the leaves and she's got to pick up worms. And so I think Uh that like, you don't have to go super, super far out of your way to find a trail if that's something you're not comfortable with or um, to seek out, you know, some crazy like mountain to go climb or whatever the case may be. Because you're right, even in more urban settings, like nature is just around us, but we have to, Put our phones down, look up, look around, um, mm-hmm. and I think risk a little bit of um, our own curiosity as adults and put that out there and show kids that it's okay to ask questions and not know exactly, you know, where everything is or what everything is. Um, in your experience, how have you seen uh you know, being more mindful in nature and paying attention to your surroundings more, like have an impact on, on children and teens and adolescents and their development?
2: Mm, great question. Um, I think there is a lot of value in anybody. Uh, but you know, we're talking about kids today, having a sense of place. Right, having a place that they feel connected to, um, having a place that they watch change through the seasons, uh, and and I think that there are so many metaphors that come with the changing of the seasons for change that happens in our life and transitions and you know winter to spring and spring to summer and summer to fall. There's just so much good stuff to help us understand these kind of abstract things or hard experiences we have in our lives. And so, uh I think about, you know, places in my own just like backyard growing up that I knew that these certain flowers or these certain plants even if I didn't know the names of them, but like yep. the yellow flowers were going to grow there <laughs> and the purple flowers were going to grow there, right? And my friends make fun of me because when the flowers and plants start coming up in the spring I'm like, "Oh, my friends are back," you know. <laughs> so I don't I'm not saying your kids have to be that. Right, sure. <laughs> but um that I, I do think there's something really beautiful that comes with that, having that sense of place. And, and for me, I know that to have a sense of place, I need to be able to identify some of what's the plants that are around me. Like that is okay. central to my having a sense of place. So I was in Colorado last week and it is a very different ecosystem mm-hmm. from the Southeast United States. And I'm just like, I, I, I kind of feel unsettled until I know what some of these plants are, right? But in the same way, like, our kids throughout their lives are likely going to have some new environments that they're in, be it a new (laughs) workplace, be it um, going to college or trade school uh, or moving into a job or changing jobs or being in a new relationship, Um, all of those things. And I think in nature, there often are some really nice models and expressions for how some of that stuff goes uh, or can go and can go well and can go terribly, you know. (laughs) And Uh, so I think having some experience with some of those models and understanding of the way the world works, uh, is just very, very helpful for kids as they're navigating transitions, making hard decisions, Mm. um, And then considering like the impact they're going to have on the planet. We know that kids right now are freaking out about climate change. And regardless of, of what your personal beliefs are about it, like kids are freaking out about it and they're Mm -hmm. like, we're not going to have a planet. Thanks y'all. Thanks boomers. Right. Uh, and, and millennials, you know, all of you all. Right. And, and I think we can help them with that if they have an understanding of how all this stuff fits together, Mm -hmm. they have, Often all this information on the internet about faraway places, but you take them into their own backyard and they may not even understand how that ecosystem is working together and how it affects one another. I think to help them get a grasp on this like big thing that they're sure. focusing on, if we can give them some little micro understandings of these little micro climates and micro uh, ecosystems that they are familiar with uh, because they've had exposure to them, then then they can start to put the pieces together to make some big change and big plans.
1: I think that's, that's so profound, um, especially the piece that you mentioned about, our kids knowing so much about other environments and other cultures, but not really understanding what's happening in their own backyards. Yeah. And so I think to, like you said, have it, developing that sense of place um, and starting with the environment that is, you know, should be the most familiar to them, but mm-hmm. in really, you know, a lot of cases is fairly unfamiliar to them if mm-hmm. they don't spend a lot of time, um, mess, you know, messing around in their own neighborhoods or in their own backyards, uh, but helping them kind of start that way and seeing how, uh, what's familiar to them and how it changes over time um, and how things in nature are resilient and how they can model some of that Mm -hmm. own resiliency in their own lives. Um, but I think we have to show them how to pay attention to those things and Mm -hmm. how to take a minute and, you know, stop and appreciate the trees and the leaves that are changing and, you know, the, 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 chipmunks that are poking their heads out of the holes when it starts to warm up and those kinds of things. But, um, if we don't show them how to do that, I think that we are, we're missing a lot of opportunity to, you know, to show our kids a path that, you know, hopefully will help them in the long run, especially in terms of, um, just development, like we've been, we've been talking about a little bit here. Now we are camp people and we are summer camp people for the most Mm -hmm. part. And I know that you spend a lot of time in terms of professional development and talking Mm -hmm. to people about why this matters and why camp um, is important to kids. And for a lot of people, you know, camp, maybe isn't as accessible. Um, And I know that there have been a lot of more opportunities that have come out later. I mean, more recently to kind of help camp become more accessible to people. Um, What would you say in your experience, you know, are some of the benefits to spending a summer outdoors, particularly, you know, if that's not your normal day to day?
2: Totally. Uh, Well, I'm going to say the thing that parents don't like to hear, but we need to keep saying it to parents. And I say this Mm -hmm. to my siblings, too, pretty regularly, as they both have kids, Um, that if you think back on some of the most influential moments in your life and some of the biggest growth moments in your life, um, I would guess that for many of those, your parents weren't there. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. the moments that you had this aha moment or you persevered uh they may have been in the audience watching right but sure. a lot of mine happened at summer camp right mm-hmm. and and it was trying things i never would have tried otherwise it was um learning to make friends and navigate social situations um and And like my, my family went camping and stuff, but I was the third kid. So by the time I came along, they did not go camping much, (laughs) but I was the kid who was like, I'm going to be outside all the time. That's going to be my thing. Uh, and so my first night spent outdoors was at summer camp and it it wasn't next to my parents. It was, you know, with a bunch of people who I'd met three days ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that, time away, be that in a day camp setting or even a half day setting, like that little bit of time away goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I think what's really cool is that kids can come back from summer camp and they're the the expert in something, right? Um, Whatever their camp is offering, if it's computer camp or theater camp or nature camp or a general camp or a sleepaway camp, you know, whatever it is, suddenly this is one of the rare times that kids actually have a little more knowledge than adults about something. Mm -hmm. And what a cool experience for kids to have. And I know sometimes, and I'm included, that as an adult, it's like, very terrifying when a kid has more knowledge than I do, (laughs) right? Like, no, they see me as the expert all the time. Um, but how cool is it that they get to, you know, show a parent around this place that's been a home for them for the last week, right? Like, let me show you where I slept and let me show you where we ate. And this is the place where we had this Mm -hmm. really cool moment happen. Like that, that is building self-esteem and self-confidence, uh, in a way that, Sorry parents, like you do a lot of other work. Right, absolutely. And and you lay the groundwork for so much of that stuff and you have a big effect on those things. I'm not trying to take that away. But then there's like this little five percent where the kids have to do it on their own. And I think camp and the outdoors offers those spaces.
1: Absolutely great. Um, and so before we kind of wrap up today, I just wanted to get your take on this um on this like this notion of um free range parenting, right? Ooh, so yeah. what was pretty typical for my childhood was, you know, we get home from school, we do our homework and we would be outside until, mm-hmm. you know, dinner time or whatever. And my brothers and cousins and I lived all in the same neighborhood and we would be on our bikes and zipping around, kind of doing our own thing. My parents had no idea what we were up to. We were, you know, riding our bikes, you know, jumping off of curbs and doing all kinds of things, digging, you know, for worms, catching frogs, all of those things. And now if you let your kids wander, you know, in the neighborhood and do those kinds of things, you are very much at risk of the authorities being called on you. And I think that that is um, definitely like very, very different than how we grew Mm -hmm. up. And I can see the impact of this hovering that, you know, sometimes we get involved in as parents um, is having on kids and their ability to explore and their ability to feel competent and their ability to to feel confident, you know, without their parents around them. And so I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, summer camp being a way to kind of foster that independence. But for the parents who maybe, um, you know, summer camp isn't an option, mm-hmm. what do you think are some baby steps in allowing them to give their kids a little bit of independence in an outdoor setting enough where they feel comfortable, but where their kids are still getting that benefit of asserting themselves and building that confidence and being a little bit on their own.
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, so again, another speaker that I heard at an uh, American Camp Association national conference, I believe it was Dr. G, actually, Dr. Deborah Galboa, mm-hmm. who talked about being the touchstone, right? So if you watch a, um, a young kid, you know, a toddler, a three, four, go to the playground with their parent, uh, that you'll expect that, you know, if it's a new playground, the toddler is going to be kind of holding on to the parent, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't really want to go explore. And then the parent will kind of stand on the edge away, you know, not right next to the fun stuff but close to it and just kind of stand there and and wait and the toddler might you know stand behind their legs then kind of peek out they might take a step out and then like run back to mom right or, or parent and then they'll like okay, it's safe here. All right. So I'm going to go a little further and then they might come back and they might go try something and look over at the parent. The parent's like, yeah, you're doing go down the slide, you know? Uh, and so that metaphor is one that I try to use, um, when taking kids out that I am the guide on the side, right? I am available for questions, for guidance. If you get hurt, I'm the first aid kit, you know, like I can help and go explore, Mm -hmm. (laughs) go explore go see what you find and as as parents and as people who are working with youth um, there are absolutely times that we need to engage and play alongside there are also times that we need to be you know sitting on the bench reading a magazine and like looking up occasionally but kind of doing our thing and then there needs to be a time that The kids getting on a bike and going to the park themselves and they know they can come home uh, if they need help or they have a cell phone now so they can call us if they need help, right? Like we're equipping them with tools to get what they need if something were to happen. Um, But we have to be willing to be on the side, and it doesn't mean disengaged, right? Um, and and that's something that's tricky, especially like for summer camp staff. When I talk about this, like you know, mom on the beach supervision, right? Where mm-hmm. like she's <laughs> watching, but she's also like reading her book, you know. Right. Um, so I I think we have gotten into a dangerous pattern of feeling like we always have to entertain, and that's what we have to step back from. And, and I'm guilty of it as an, as an auntie too, where More. we go to the playground and I'm like, let's run around to play tag, you know? Uh, but, but I mean, I spent a lot of time being creative in my backyard by myself and just figuring out how to entertain myself. And I think that that's a skill that we are losing Absolutely. in this world. And so we as youth leaders and parents need to, Think about how we can incorporate that more into our routines, and to say, "Nope, go play." Like
1: I love, that. yeah, Mama's I, gonna stay
2: here. You're gonna play, <laughs>
1: and you're gonna be just fine. And I, you know, that touchstone piece, piece, like I will be here if you need me, but I'm going to feel comfortable letting you explore. Um, I'm trusting you that you are, you know, going to make some good choices. And if mm-hmm. not, I'll be here to help you you through that as well. And um, some of the language that I learned too um, in this is. I was definitely the mom that, oh, be careful, be careful, be careful. Um, instead of saying, you know, make sure you have a strong grip or watch where your feet are or that rock is slippery and helping them le- learn that, that language of how to navigate in some riskier situations. Because saying be careful doesn't mean much. Right. <laughs> no, right. like, what does that mean to me? And so just thinking about what our language is when our kids are outside, um, you know, trying some new things and just giving them the tools, like you mentioned before, um to engage in play in a way that that uh, is meaningful to them, provides mm-hmm. just enough risk or they're, they're stretching and growing, um, but where those tones are in place, um, those touch points are in place so that if they do need an adult or some supervision or whatever, that that's available to them. I think that's so, so important. Um, Now, before we wrap up today, if people Mm -hmm. are interested in learning more about um, outdoor education or getting their kids outside, like you've already dropped some amazing resources in terms of apps and some books and um, some people to listen to. But is there anything else that you would want to share with people in the audience who want to hear more about this?
2: Yeah, totally. Another big expert we haven't mentioned today, Richard Louvre. Uh, he wrote Last Child in the Woods, uh, yeah. also wrote The Nature Principle. Um, if you need some motivation to like go do some of this, he's got the research to to back it up. And that research now is... Uh, probably 15 years old 15 mm-hmm. 20 years old but still very applicable I know as an outdoor educator when I opened it I was like oh everything I'm doing is so important so uh, if, you, if you need that validation too, like yes. pick that up but they have a website called the children in nature network okay. and so if you are looking for nature clubs nearby if you're looking for resources for how to take kids outside um, that's a, a great it's kind of been like the home base for that sort of stuff in the last couple of decades honestly so check that out if that's something um you're interested in awesome and
1: so how can our friends around the campfire uh find you ruby
2: yeah, totally. Uh, so you can email me ruby at rubyoutdoors.com. You can check out what I do at rubyoutdoors.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at rubyoutdoors, trying to make it really easy. And then I'm also on Twitter, rubylyn 85 uh, And when I go to conferences, especially to camp conferences, I usually do a lot of tweeting. So if you're interested, even as a parent, you may be interested in finding out, you know, like, what are we being taught at mm-hmm. these you know camp is it all like ponies and right. and amusement and park rides at, and uh, <laughs> camp it's not actually we're talking about some high level stuff so um if that's interesting to you to know what camp pros are, are finding out more about or if you're a camp pro and you're like oh, i really wanted to go to that conference or hear that keynote if i'm there i'll, I'll keep you posted on what's going on so uh, definitely feel free to follow me there
1: Well, awesome. Well, Ruby, thank you so much for your time today. It's uh, looking like it's time to put our campfire out, um, but we've learned so much from you today about the importance of reconnecting um, with ourselves by getting outdoors and how we can um, you know, foster that love, you know, in, in the next generation that's coming up behind us and the importance of that. So thank you so much for sharing your most valuable asset with us, your time and your expertise. And we are so, so thankful um, for our time together today. So thank you again so much, Ruby, for, for all of that.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much.
1: I really enjoyed interviewing Ruby today. She's an expert in her area and gave us lots of tips and some incredible app recommendations to help us truly reap the benefits of being outdoors. In the Yale article we mentioned, the magic number of reaping benefits from being outside is just 120 minutes, total time in a week. There's evidence that getting outside not only improves your mood, but maybe can even improve your vision and lower your blood pressure. Some studies suggest that reconnecting with nature can improve your short-term memory and boost your creativity. Why not put some of these theories to the test and get yourself outside? What do you have to lose? Bring your kids or a friend or don't, but get out there and see the forest and the trees. Thanks again for joining us this week. I hope you'll come see us next time on Campfire Conversations. With lots of gratitude and a little sparkle, this is Dana Staston signing off.
0: Thanks again to our friends at SCOPE for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. SCOPE stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. SCOPE campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at supportscope.